Well, our scripture this morning comes from the uh, Lenten liturgy and lectionary, and we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 64. And each of the, so Advent is, leads us to Christmas Day. So in Advent, there are four Sundays, the four Sundays preceding Christmas, and then Christmas Eve, which happens to be a Sunday this year. Uh, and so we're in the first week of Advent. And in each of the weeks of Advent this year, we're gonna go back to the prophet Isaiah. And the prophets were, again, most of the prophets came in the, in the like, uh, 400 to 800 BC range, and they were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. But one of the things that's really interesting about the prophets, and as you study the prophets, read the prophets, it's kind of confusing for modern day readers. But the prophets, you know, God's message, and, and God is always speaking through metaphor, and. And in the prophecies of the prophets, there are, there are times where it is layered with meaning. It is looking to the Messiah in Christ's first coming, but it is also pointing all the way to the book of Revelation that we just got done studying, uh, and, and it points there as well. And so as you're reading it, you're like, well, wait a minute. And that's what was confusing to the scholars and the people in Jesus' day because they didn't see, they didn't understand, their kind of eyes were closed to the fact that there were two comings of the Messiah. And so they were expecting all that is, is prophesied in Revelation to happen when Jesus came the first time. And so as we come into this Advent season, as we talked about last week and unpacking it, we are thinking about both celebrating the Christmas that was in the first coming, remembering that, remembering what, what believers were looking forward to in that season as we celebrate it new and afresh each year. We were looking to the future and to the second coming of Christ that we're still waiting for. So what was past and what is future. And then we are acknowledging that in this day, in this season, God wants to come to us individually, work in and through us. Now, many of you know that uh, to Wendy and I have been involved in theater for many, many years. I studied it in college. Um, really, really enjoy theater. And one of the things that I can tell you about the, the theater experience. Wendy, Wendy, like tw 23, 20 years ago, directed a musical here at Third. It was in the sanctuary. It was called The Christmas Post. And in fact, it was so popular and was so good that our local community theater has since produced it twice in 2006 and 2016. And, uh, and, and Wendy has directed each of those three productions. And there is a, there's a song in that musical and the, kind of the theme of that musical is that anything can happen. Anything can happen. And when you are in theater, usually uh, in traditional stories, there's a curtain, right, across the stage. And when you come in to uh, watch a play at the high school or at college, there's this curtain that is closed. 
And when that curtain opens, the lights go down, the curtain opens, and as an audience member, it's like, oh my gosh, anything could happen. I am going to be transported to a different time in a different place. I am going to, in the next hour and a half or two hours, I'm going to see a story revealed. We call that the willing suspension of disbelief. And when you're in, in a show that is really, really good, it's like time flies and you feel like you're right there. Now, I will also tell you that that is also true for the actors who are behind the curtain on the stage. Um, because when you're an actor and you've prepared and you, you get ready, the, the great actors, they want to be so in the moment they want to be so into the character. They want to be, they literally, it, there's a thing that happens for actors where you experience this almost out-of-body-like experience. And in that moment, you are in that scene. You are in that place, just like it. And I've talked to, to many actors that when they experience that, and it's not always, but when they experience that, it's like a high it's amazing. I remember Wendy and I were doing a show, um, and I was directing, and we had, we had a guy that had never been on stage before, never been in a play, and he had a really, really small part. He had like three lines. He was, he's the guy that came in and wired the telephone in the apartment that was on stage. And so <laughs> we worked with him, and he comes in in the first act, and he does his three lines, and then he walks off stage and he walked out of the stage into the hallway behind the stage and everyone in the theater heard this, wow! <laughs> he experienced it. He felt it. I said, okay, next time just hold it in. That's what happens. So I, I want us to think about, I want us to think about that metaphor today. Because God uses that metaphor as well. And let's, so let's go to Isaiah chapter 64, beginning in verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And it's right there. That you would split, that you would rend, that you would open the curtain of the heavens. When that curtain opens, anything can happen that the mountains would tremble before you as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to this earth from the heavens to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect. What did I just say? That first coming Jesus came in a way nobody expected. But there's a second coming that's coming as well. You came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. What did we talk about last week? Advent is a season of waiting. What are you waiting for? 
What are you waiting for God to do in your heart, in your life? Now, let's go back there. Who acts on behalf of those who are waiting for him. Now, remember when we were studying the, the metaphors that Jesus used, the I am's, and I had my whiteboard up here, and we talked, I kind of talked about how throughout the entire great story from, Revelation, or from Genesis to Revelation, um, metaphors are part of that, and they're, it's not just one moment that God weaves them through the whole story. So I want to go back, beginning with Genesis right now. And in the beginning, you know, Adam and Eve, are they sin, and when they sin, they feel shame. And God punishes them, says, yep, there's going to be a curse on both Adam and Eve and the snake. But then a piece of the story that most people pass over and don't consider. In, in verse 21 of Genesis chapter 3, it says that God made garments out of animal skins to cover their shame. Here's what I want you to notice. Now, before sin happened, God said you can eat of any plant or tree in the garden. But animals and meat were not part of that equation. So once they sinned and were shamed, God makes clothing out of skins. What's the implication? An animal died. Blood was shed. God shed the blood of his own beautiful, good creation in order that Adam and Eve could cover their shame. God was the one who initiated it. God was the one who made the sacrifice. God was the one who was prompting it. God was the one who shed the blood of something that was his own in order for the shame to be covered. Now, we go a little bit further in the story, and we have Noah, who is, of all the earth, God's going to destroy, but God makes a covenant with Noah. God prompts it, and he says, Noah, by you and your family, I'm going to repopulate the earth. I'm going to make an everlasting covenant with you. Once again, God is the one that's prompting. God's the one who called Noah. God's the one who prompted him to build the ark. God is the one who faithfully did all that he said he was going to do. God is the one who, after the flood, uh, promised Noah that, that God was going to bless him and his his the fruit of his, uh, his wife's womb, and populate the earth. Now, we go a couple chapters in there. Now we have, we come to the story of Abraham, okay? So in Abraham chapter 15, or in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham is called by God, leave your folks, we're gonna go take you to a land that I'm gonna give you. So Abraham faithfully goes out, says, all right, again, God is the one who initiated it. God is the one who first said, Abraham, leave. I'm going to show you this. So he leaves. Now God, in chapter 15 of Genesis, makes a covenant with Abraham. And in the story, he has Abraham set up the covenant. So in those days, what you did was you took the, the, you took the animals for, uh, of the sacrifice, and you would cut them up, and they would set them in rows. And then the blood of the animals kind of 
kind of poured down the middle. And one person in the covenant was on one side and one person on the covenant was the other side. And you would walk through between the, the animals to make the covenant with the person that you were making the covenant with, and it was like this binding. And the blood symbolized that it is my blood that will be shed if this, in this covenant. I am, willing on, I, I am willing to shed my blood if I ever fail to give this covenant. But what's interesting in that story is that Abraham wakes up and there was this, this lamp, like a torch, that passed to him through the sacrifice. What that was, was God was saying, Abraham, this is my covenant to you. I'm initiating it. I'm moving towards you. I'm the one who is saying my blood. God is saying my blood to keep this covenant with you. He's setting up the story. So now we move on to the book of Exodus. And now we have Abraham, Noah to Abraham. We've got these individuals. Now we get to Exodus, and Abraham's descendants have become a whole bunch of people, 12 tribes, thousands and thousands of people living in slavery in Egypt. And God initiates, he goes to a guy named Moses, and he initiates, he says, Moses, I'm gonna deliver this people from slavery. So God initiates, God delivers through the miracles and delivers them out of slavery in Egypt. He leads them into the wilderness, and God initiates, and he gives them a law, and he gives them, <laughs> he gives them a whole system a uh, national system by which they are to live and worship and be. He provides for them every day in the wilderness. This thing called manna. They'd wake up and there was this white stuff all over the ground. And, and you, it was like bread. And they would pick up the manna out of the bread, just enough that they needed. And God made water come out of a rock so that they had water. He was their daily bread. When Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread, he's pointing back to Exodus and to the wilderness. God is the one who provides. So God initiates, God delivers, and he provides all through that. And he says, and this is interesting, as he's making this covenant with his people, he says, I am the God who will punish you to the third generation of those who sin against me. To the third generation. But, he says, I will bless to the thousandth generation, to those who love me, keep my commands, and follow me. Look at that ratio. Three, 1,000. Even in sin, is there consequence for sin? Is there things, bad things happen through sin? Yes. Three generations. And what God, look, listen to that ratio. What he's saying is, yep, three generations. Why? Because then hopefully somebody in the fourth generation, third or fourth generation comes back to me so I can bless for a thousand years. He's the one that's prompting. He's the one that's saying, come to me. I want to bless you. 
Well, then, in the Exodus, God sets up this tent for his people. He says, you're going to have this traveling temple tent. And in that tent, there were, there were two sections. The first section, you came through a door. It was called uh, the holy place. And there was a place burning incense and making sacrifices. And then there was this curtain. And behind that curtain was what's called the Holy of Holies. And that's where the Raiders of the Lost Ark, dun, 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 dun. yes, that's where the Ark was, okay? But there was this tent and a curtain. And the tent was always in the middle of all the people. They camped around the tent. God was at the center. And they went to this tent to worship. Then the tent became a temple when Solomon built the temple and followed the same pattern. And now we get to this place 400 years from Isaiah, they're looking forward to. God, what are you going to do to take care of this sin problem? And through the whole story up to then, God's been the one initiating. He's the one providing. He's the one who is giving his word. And now we get to Bethlehem. John 3, 16. For God so what? Loved the world. That he what? Gave his only one begotten, unbegotten son, that whoever would, what? Would not, what? But have what? For God did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. So now, <laughs> there we are, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. The whole story is about God initiating, making covenants, promising to be the one who sheds the blood, to make things right. And Jesus comes, and when he comes, you know, during Advent, one of the stories that, that is always told at Advent is that of Simeon in Luke chapter two. And Simeon was this old dude, and it says that the Holy Spirit was on him. It's just this one guy. And it says that Simeon had been waiting for the consolation of Israel. He'd been waiting for the Messiah. And God, through the Holy Spirit, says the Holy Spirit is on him, and the Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon that he would not die until his eyes had been laid upon the Messiah. So prompted by the Holy Spirit, once again, it is God initiating. God initiates and says, Simeon, go to the temple courts. Now he goes to the temple courts, and the temple courts, I mean, everyone's there to sacrifice. Temple courts is like a shopping mall at Christmas time. Crowds of people. So the Holy Spirit leads him and he sees Mary and Joseph and the 40-day-old infant Jesus. And Simeon comes up and he sees the child and he holds that child in his arms. Because now, he says, oh God, now I can die. My eyes have seen. And one of the things that's so interesting to me in that is that God is still working through individuals. See, that's the beauty of the Advent season. We're all like Simeon. 
All of us are saying, God, reveal yourself to me. Open my eyes that I may see it. Open the, the curtain. Anything can happen when the curtain opens. So Jesus comes and he sheds his blood by dying on the cross. And when the cross, when he's on that cross and he breathes his last, three of the four gospel writers say this. Matthew says it in 2751. Mark says it in Mark 1538. Luke says it in 2345. As soon as he dies, that curtain in the temple that divides people from the holy of holies, that, that is signifying that there is something between God and man. You can't see it. You can't get to it. And that curtain tore down the middle. When the curtain opens, anything can happen. Now, I want to go to... Uh, Put your finger there in Isaiah 64. And I want to go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, there's a veil that remains. When the old covenant is read, it has not been removed because only in Christ is that taken away. Even to this day, Paul writes, when Moses is read in the Jewish synagogues, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever one, anyone turns to Christ Jesus as Lord, the veil opens. The veil, the curtain opens. The veil is taken away. So as we come to Advent, we're asking God, <laughs> draw back the curtain. My heart. Breakthrough, God, in my life. Back to Isaiah chapter 64. God, you come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? John 3, 16 and 17. That's how you're saved, by God coming to die for our sins and to tear the curtain and unveil it to our hearts. All of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We're all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you for you have what? Hidden your face from us. There's the veil. There's the veil. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Don't become angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look on us, we pray, 
for we are all your people. As we move into this Advent season, as a church, we want to push into two things. We want to, number one, push into generosity. Hold on to that for a second. Second, we also want to push into quiet, silence. And in this, both in our generosity and in our quiet, our silence, as I mentioned in the sanctuary last week, we are seeking to be countercultural. We are seeking to do, what does he say here? God, you did awesome things that we didn't expect. And when you follow Jesus, he asks you to do things that the world does not expect. And one of the problems that we've had as the Church of Jesus Christ over the last 2,000 years is we keep going back to just acting like everybody else in the world. Our lives are no different than anybody else. So when we, we say, hey, you should know Christ, they're like, well, why, would I, why would I believe anything that you say? You're no different than me. Your life is no different than me. You're, you, the things you say, the things you do, the way you behave, it's no different than anybody else. And Jesus said, wait, yeah. I want you to behave in a way that people don't expect. Because when you, God's ways are not man's ways. And when you do the things that are God's ways, people notice. So we're pushing into generosity. Why? Because the whole story is about God being generous with us, initiating, delivering, providing, dying, raising again, filling, blessing. God is always the one who is giving. So now as we wait, we want to do what God has done for us, that which is unexpected, that he would die for a wretch like me. So as we just took up our Thanksgiving offering uh, a week ago or so, we're actually this year doing a reverse offer. And this morning, uh, the plate is going to be passed, but instead of asking you to put something in the plate, we're going to ask you to take something out. There's going to be a basket that is passed, filled with $20 bills. And what we're going to ask you to do is if you are led and you want to do it, you don't have to, you take one of those $20 bills and it's wrapped. And when you unseal that $20 bill, there's a QR code. And all we're asking of you is this. Ask Holy Spirit to lead you to use that $20 in a way, and here we go, use the $20 in a way that might open the curtain for the person you give it to. Not because they don't expect it. What, what, why are you, I don't even know you, why are you giving me this $20 bill? There's a story there. And whenever the curtain opens, whenever we are radically generous, it's like, God, I want you to tell a story. <laughs> I'm gonna help you 
open the curtain on the story in somebody's life. And that person gets that and goes, wait a minute, I didn't expect this. I don't deserve this. Why, I mean, why, uh, what are you getting this for, you, this for? Oh, now the story begins. And it may not end up with them knowing Christ right that moment. They might. But maybe that is a chapter in their story that leads them where Holy Spirit is taking them to go, which is to their salvation, that they might know the Christ of Christmas. So two things. Number one, um, actually three things. Number one, you're free to do however you want. But know this, I really want you to pray about how you give and give in such a way that it's opening the curtain on somebody's story. I mean, you could take that $20 and give it to the well, but everybody does that. And nobody's gonna know it. This is 20 bucks that goes into the ledger. We're talking about 20 bucks. God, who should I give this to? Who is gonna make a difference? Who is this gonna make a difference to? Number two, there's also on your chair, all around the room, donation uh, cards. As part of our generosity campaign, um, on each of these cards is a different, uh, like this one says, six cans of soup and two packages of crackers. So what we're gonna do is asking you if you want, again, no, don't have to, but in the spirit of generosity and learning to be generous, Take this card, go get what it says on there, bring it with you next week, and we are going to actually, just like they did in the Old Testament, we are gonna bring our offering <laughs> of food, and we're gonna bring it up, and we're gonna bring it to the Lord, we're gonna put it up here, and then the church is gonna work on distributing it. Number three. Um, if you go to the store, to buy what's on this card, can I push a little bit? You can buy the Walmart Besto Value brand because it's cheap. Or you might buy something high end that somebody who needs that food would never expect and has never tasted in their life. Which one is God's heart? Which, is, which of those things is the heart that God has shown us through the history? The cheap, generic, best of value brand? Or the top shelf, sacrificial, extravagantly generous grace of Christ? So, buy your groceries accordingly. So we're going to, um, we're gonna have a, a worship song. Hannah, you and the team can come on up. And during this first worship song, um, I'm just gonna ask everyone to stay seated. And during this worship song, the, the basket's gonna be passed with the $20. That QR code, when you, when you scan that QR code, it's gonna take you to a place to share your story. And that's what we're gonna ask you to do. Whatever happens, whoever you gave it to, whatever the circumstances were, will you please scan that QR code and will you write or do a video or do something to share, here's what I did, here's what Holy Spirit led me to do with that $20. Hey, if it's a family or a group of friends, you can combine your $20 
and make it 100 or 200, and then as a group, pray for how God could use that. Be creative, just whatever God is gonna lead, okay? And um, so as you take that, and then during the second song, uh, we will stand and worship as usual. At the end, we'll have communion as we always do on Sunday mornings here that you can come on, partake of communion during that second worship song, and then we will be dismissed. Let's pray. God, bless us. Thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you that you always initiate and provide and bless. Help us to be people that love as you have loved us, that give as you have given to us, that bless as you have blessed us. And we pray, Lord, that through this offering that is about to take place, we pray that you will open the curtain on people's stories throughout this community and this state and this country and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.